Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to what I believe is going to be episode number four, or it could be five, of the Tub Hub. I'm your host, Corey Wharton Malcolm, aka Bit Beefy, and if it's the and if this is the first time that you're listening to this, this podcast is all about the word help. On this podcast, we like to explore the word help in all its forms. What does asking for help look like? Who do we ask for help? Why do we ask them for help? And how does helping make us feel? This week, not only are we exploring help, but we are going to be exploring our feelings, our thoughts on discrimination, inequality, sexism, racism, and everything else that goes along with it. But I've talked too much already. Joining me this week in her tub is the awesome, amazing Jocelyn. Jocelyn, are you there? Corey, I am here. I am in the bath. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, I think I just snorted. Wow. I hope, I hope the mic didn't pick that up. Jocelyn, how are you? I so. Um, I am well. Well, I'm currently bathing. Um, I've, I've managed to boot uh, BJ and Bjorn out of the house and Max um, is on his way to napping. So I am well. I feel peaceful. Fantastic. Jocelyn, now I obviously know who you are. You are one of my favourite humans. But some of my listeners may not know who you are. Can you tell them exactly who you are? What's your full name? What do you do? And how do we know each other? Yeah, so uh, my name is Jocelyn Thompson Rule. Um, I am a personal trainer and sports therapist, and I've been in the fitness industry for 17 years now. Um, I work with Nike um, as one of their master trainers, so that's how we met uh, through the swoosh. Um, I also work with them as a a trainer and then I also um, do a lot of work around women in fitness so I hold the women in fitness summit every year Uh, the first day is for fitness professionals and the second is for fitness enthusiasts Um, I run a mentorship as well for female coaches um, and then I do lots of other um, fitness related things. So basically, Jocelyn. all fitness. Jocelyn, 17 years. Tell, okay. like, tell, 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 tell us about the 17 years and tell us about the summit. Like, what, what have you seen change over the past couple of years or even over the yeah. 17 years that you've been in the sport? Yeah, yeah. Well, I consider myself really lucky because um, <clears throat> I got into this industry um, before social media. Um, and, <laughs> you know, social media is an amazing thing. It's a powerful thing if we use it in the right way. Um, but what that afforded me was just a slower pace at starting my career. And the only people I had to compare myself to were other coaches in the gym that I was working in. Um, So I am so grateful for that because they're just, you know, I see a lot of kind of new coaches now that are just like, oh, but this person's doing this and this person's doing that. And, you know, there's so much going on and it can be really, really overwhelming. Whereas the only, you know, um, 
profile I guess that I had was the the picture up on the gym floor saying Jocelyn is a personal trainer and this is the kind of stuff that she does um so I think that that's I feel very lucky um to have started off in that way um but also I think that in in many ways nothing has changed in terms of what it takes to succeed in the industry so I still think it's a take things slow build those foundations um, learn as much as you can within those first few years um, and then you will find um, an area or areas in which you want to focus your work I think there's a lot of pressure for new trainers to kind of come in and be like right what's my niche it's kind of like you don't need a niche yet you need to just <laughs> you know get your hands dirty and see what you like doing and then pursue that um, and there's this belief that you know, or well, someone's already doing what I'm doing. And it's like, yeah, of course there are people doing what you are already doing, but they're not you. And that's, that's what makes the difference. So, um, and then obviously it's, it's changed a lot. There's a, you know, kind of more recently, there are a lot of um, boutique spaces um, up and running, delivering classes and so on. Um, it, it's changed a lot, but I think the fundamentals have stayed the same. And so um, that I am very grateful for. So when you first got into to fitness, uh, I guess I've got a few questions here. Firstly, what made you want to get into fitness? Like, what was your inspiration? Because um, obviously back then, as you said, there wasn't social media. So nowadays, when there is social media, the way that we can consume information and I guess find people to want to be like is a lot easier. So back yeah. then, how, how did you find inspiration? Um, well, I think, sorry, I'm just readjusting in the bath one second. <laughs> this setup, Corey, seriously. Anyway, um, this so, is real people. We are actually in real. baths at homes. And I'm trying, do you know what? I've adjusted myself because so I'm like, if I spend this whole time turned sideways trying to speak into my <laughs> mic, gonna I'm going to come, come out of this bath in some kind of way. Anyway, um, so yeah, the reason how I got into it um, was because at uni I studied economics, um, oh. and which is nothing to do with what I'm doing now. Um, and, um, and I actually ended up rowing at university, so uh, like rowing in a boat. And, That's where um, the engine comes from. Hun. Um, tell and, me that. <laughs> and uh, so I did that for four years. And in my third year, um, I became vice captain of the ladies' boat club, which sounds very posh. Um, <laughs> but, um, Are you secretly posh, Justin? <laughs> it's coming out now, boy. Now we're in the bath. It's all coming out. A ladies book club um, but what that meant was that I got to um, assist the head coach with um, coaching the novices mm -hmm. um, and I really really liked that process of taking absolute beginners um, you know teaching them new skills whether that be you know the actual technical sp skills within the boat the um, you know, mindset skills around believing in themselves or just like the kind of pre-race prep. And um, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, by the end of that year, I really enjoyed that, that process, I guess, taking people on a, on a journey. And, and for me, um, rowing was a real, um, it, it gave me a confidence um, in myself that nobody could take away. So 
um, oh, wow. the university that I went to, um, were, there, there, there were a lot of wealthy people there um, and I absolutely wasn't. So I had this feeling of I'm not like them. Um, and one of the, the thing that couldn't be taken away from me was, um, you know, my sporting prowess, I guess. Um, and I really owned that and that was what gave me a huge amount of confidence. So I really liked seeing that process you know, in others as well. Um, so I, I finished uni and then actually went to Japan for a year um, and taught English there. Oh, and then, wow. um, yeah, and then when I came back, um, I was just kind of like, it was, it was kind of a process of elimination really because I knew I didn't want to go and work in a bank. Um, I knew I didn't want to lecture in economics. Um, and I really loved, you know, training. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should become a PT. And that was it really. So I, I went and did my um, PT course with um, Premier, which is still going. And so you didn't, um, that so you was didn't it. see anybody else PTing. It was just kind of a natural succession of things to happen. It's just like, oh, I'm rowing, I'm interested in the body. This is yeah. what I can do. Amazing. Yeah, I was interested in the process of, of that kind of fitness journey, that developmental journey um, for others. And I thought, I love training. I enjoyed that coaching process. This is what I want to do. So that's that's kind of how it started. Now I never looked back really, which is a bit mad. <laughs> so you've been helping people <laughs> from the very beginning. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have. And then when you when you help people, Jocelyn, like how does that make you feel? Like why like if you were to, to strip it all back, why do you why do you think you do it? Um I think I do it because um, a I have I now have the skills to show people how, um, and I think that a lot of people do require that support um, along the journey, and also um, they require empathy along the journey because I think a lot of people think that when they make a um, the decision to, I don't know, run a 5K or, um, you know, do some sort of race or competition or they make the decision to lose weight or whatever it is, that they've made that decision, they're feeling pretty inspired, they may feel a little nervous because they're not quite sure how. Um, but I think what people don't um, take into account is how they may not receive the support that they think they're going to receive from people around them, from family, from friends. Um, and it, it, it's, it's something that I always warn clients um, when I'm first speaking to them in that initial consult. It's like, okay, this is your goal. I'm based on all of your, every kind of um, element of your life and lifestyle. I'm going to map something out that means I think that you know, you should be able to stick to it. And if, if you fall off the bandwagon, I'm here to put you back on and let's, let's see how that works. What I do need to warn you about though, is that the people who you think may support you on this may not. So what that often looks like is, you know, someone says, right, I'm gonna run a 5K race. Um, and their friends are like, what are you talking about? You <laughs> hated running, that's ridiculous. Why um, does that happen, Justin? Because I'm... I experienced exactly the same thing when yeah, I, I started running. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think it's because immediately it makes people um, quickly reflect, and, and this is a subconscious thing, I don't even think they realise that they're doing it. Somebody else has decided to make a change. 
and that means that that causes some sort of self reflection uh-huh. and that's a little bit uncomfortable and so to just move straight out of that discomfort it's like what are you talking about you're never going to do that um and then the next step is um that they start training and they start doing it and so the friend then says or the the partner then says or whoever oh, you know what fair enough i'm i'm supp- still you know in a the mean way of going god i'm surprised you actually stood exactly. to it you know what I mean? <laughs> um instead of like well done you know but that that's the second piece and then the person does their 5k um, and their friend is like, okay, fair enough, or whatever. Um, and then the person who does it's not fast says, enough. Yeah, or or not even that. They might go, oh, I'm going to go for a 10k now, or I'm going <laughs> to try and get my time a bit quicker. And that's when the friend says, oh, now you've gone too far. You're taking this too seriously. You're no fun anymore. So there's only there's never really a sweet spot within that. Um, and I mean, sometimes there is. Don't get me wrong. But um, when other people change, that can make. Um, individuals feel uncomfortable and so they would rather see people stay as they are than change because it it begs the question do I need to make changes myself 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 right we've now moved down the other end of the bath (laughs) right let me just there we go um lol Have you, have you faced people not believing in you, um, not yeah. trusting you or discriminating against you for whatever reason? Yeah, I think, I think I actually experienced quite a bit when I was younger and um, uh, one was quite a big thing and, I, and I, I still think now like how did my seven-year-old self make that decision but I did somehow um, and it's sort of, it really kind of um, set me up for life I guess so um, when I was seven, um, randomly a garden wall fell on my foot. Um, long story. <laughs> and, and what it meant was that, that I had to um, get my big toe amputated on my left foot. Um, and um, I was in hospital for two months because um, at that time, obviously, you know, medical um, uh, advances or advancements even um, were not, you know, what they are now. Um, so I had about nine operations, I think, and I was in hospital for two months. Um, and originally they tried to save my big toe, but then it was, you know, it's like there was going to be no saving it. So basically they um, decided to amputate it. Um, and I remember, and I woke up the next morning after one of the surgeries with just like this kind of cage over my foot. So I didn't know what had happened. Um, and uh, I remember then the surgeon kind of took me into his office and sat me down um, on his knee and he was just like so we had to do this um, and my first reaction was well where's my toe <laughs> you know and he was like, well, you know we had to get rid of it and I was like what do you mean like you just took it off and you didn't even like give it to me to keep and look up and I'm sure he was just like um, the thing was going gangrene like there was no oh, saving wow. that bad boy but um, but uh, he said because I did um, Irish dancing at the time some half Irish and um and I was living we were in Dublin at, at that time and um you know he said look you're you're not going to be able to dance again and you're going to have to learn how to walk again and all that kind of stuff um now I still have the ball of my foot which makes a big difference to my balance um mm. but and I remember kind of you know to this day sitting on his knee and just being like in my head 
well, I'm just going to see because I didn't believe that that was, you know, going to be the thing that because I, I loved dancing so much. And so I was just like, well, you're saying that, but I'm just going to see if I can. Um, yeah. And I did go on to, to dance. And I think that um, that kind of, well, I'm just going to see if I can kind of went with me. And I remember um, when I wanted to go to the university that I wanted to go to, um, I remember telling a friend, a friend of mine's mum, and actually um, a couple of members of my family and stuff, and all of them were all adults, and they were all like, oh, that's very hard to get into. And, you know, if, if I hadn't, have, I guess, had that experience when I was seven of, of being defiant in the face of this doctor being like, I'm going to show you, um, I think I might have taken that on board and just gone, oh, right, this adult has told me that this is difficult, I should listen, and so therefore not try. Um, and so it kind of spurs me on even more when somebody, you know, a new client or a friend or whoever comes to me and says, Joss, I want to do this thing, like, what do you think? And I'm like, let's go for it. And they're like, really, are you sure? But, and I'm like, no, let's go for it. And I've always taken that attitude to anybody who wants to try something new because, so many people will say oh don't you think that's going to be a bit hard and <laughs> you might you might listen to them and luckily I didn't um and so that's always stuck with me not enough people have enough self-belief and I always feel like I, I like problem solving as well so even if there's not a direct route I'm kind of like right let's see let's see where this takes us and where does the problem solving come from <sighs> Um, again, I, just, I, I, I guess I just like figuring things out. And, I, and again, it probably comes from, you know, this idea that a lot of people are maybe more easy to accept, like, oh, this can't be done. Or, um, and I'm kind of like, well, let's just give it a go. Like, let's just see. And cool if it doesn't work and we try several different ways. But let's not stop before we've even given it a chance. Now, as you are a problem solver, sorry, as you are a problem solver, Justin, how do we solve not our current problems, but problems that have been happening for the past hundred years, but some people have just woken up to it. How do we solve the problem of racism, inequality, um, diversity issues, sexism, homophobia? Like how, how do we solve all of those things and are, are they a problem in the industry that we both work in? Mm, I mean, yeah, you know, without, without a doubt. Um, I think that it starts with a huge amount of self-reflection. I think often the immediate thing can be, um, oh, how do we educate other people? How do we make them think like us? How do we, and, I think it has to be right. Sit with yourself and ask yourself some really hard questions. Have I been a part of this? Um, have I spoken up when I have I not spoken up when I should have? Um, and I and I think that will will take some time because I've had some conversations with um, some people and immediately there's this idea around, oh, that's a terrible thing, that shouldn't happen. Um, and then the next question is always, what part have you played in that? And it doesn't mean that people are 
bad people or they're, you know, either, you know, wearing, you know, all white, like the Ku Klux Klan, or they're, you know, these mad misogynists or whatever. They're the kind of real obvious things. Um, it's the little things that get swept under the carpet um, that are a real problem because they're the, they're the things that people don't think exist um, because they're outward looking rather than inward looking. Um, and one thing that's kind of come to me really, really recently um, is that, you know, often people will, um, if, I, if I think something isn't right, um, if something feels unsettling to me, um, I will always, first of all, reflect. What, what's my role here? Um, is there something I could change here? It always starts with me. If I'm still not getting any answers from that self-reflection, um, I will then ask outwardly. So if I have an issue with a friend um, or a family member or something like that, I will then say, look, I don't understand why this happened. Can you give it to me from your perspective? Um, and often I have been told in the past, oh no, but that j just, just leave it. Like just, but there's something within me um, that wants to find out and to learn if I haven't understood something well. Um, and I think that, and, and like I said, this has only just come to me recently. I think that's the case. And, and that's why I asked those, you know, what can be uncomfortable questions, because in the past I have experienced things um, because of my race or my gender or whatever, and I haven't been stood up for. Um, and so it gives you this sense of, well, if, if no one's going to stand up for me, I then have to do that job myself. So um, an example kind of back in the day, probably when I was um, maybe six or seven years into the industry, um, a, a guy had made a, a, a sexist comment um, to me in this kind of, uh, what was it, in a, um, it was like a, What's the word? Um, oh, damn it. Networking. <laughs> it was like this networking morning breakfast thing that I used to yeah. go to every Friday. Mm -hmm. um, and, and his comment to me was, um, so I'm there in my PE kit, obviously. Um, and his comment to me was, you know, um, well, when are you going to come in to work um, with a short skirt and high heels on? Oh, um, wow. And what year and, was uh, this? <laughs> this is this dude. Um, he was kind of maybe in his late 50s I want to say um, and it was at this networking event so we were just making coffee and nearly, nearly spat out my coffee um, and I was just kind of like wow like, okay um, and, uh, and I, just, I just kind of brushed it off and then it wasn't until maybe two weeks later he made the same comment again mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I was just like look I, I, don't, I don't wear you know um, high heels and skirts for my work um, number one, this is what I wear. And number two, it's got nothing to do with you, how I come in here and how I dress. Mm. So I was really annoyed. Um, and then the um, chairperson of the uh, meeting, um, the group was a woman. And I was like, do you know mm. what? I'm going to, um, I feel like it's, it's, it's safe for me to go and express to her what's just gone down because again it wasn't like you know he had done anything physical but it's like these mm -hmm. micro it's things that you know it's just yeah exactly inappropriate and um, inappropriate sorry um and um so i went to her and i just said look um 
this has happened a, a couple of times. Um, I wanted to let you know because I, I'm, I'm making it. Uh, I'm making a complaint. Uh, and she said to me, "Oh, that's just. I can't remember what his name was. That's just you know his way. He you know he he speaks before he thinks sometimes." And that was such a punch in the stomach to me because I thought, I'm a young woman coming to you as a woman saying that somebody has made a comment that is, you know, discriminatory and you've just passed it off and said, oh, he just says silly things sometimes. And that was the thing that made me think, okay, you need to stand up for yourself because you've just gone to somebody, asked for help and you've just been brushed off. So that's now why if I feel like somebody has said something that I feel is wrong, after that self-reflection, I will question it um, and, and then I will question them. Uh, response of kind of not helping you, mm. has that affected how you feel about asking for help? As in, so when people aren't helpful, when you... I guess, extend an olive branch and they don't help you, does that, does that have a negative impact? Um, I think what it probably did was it, um, it made me kind of think, all right, no, one, no one's here to, to bail you out. Like if you've got an issue, you need to deal with it. So I suppose then that's turned into me um, not feeling that comfortable asking for help. Um, and I suppose a level of self-sufficiency, like, well, if I, if I feel like I wasn't the person in the wrong, um, then I need to deal with this in another way. And sometimes, sometimes there are just times when you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to walk away from this. It's actually, it's, it's not, it's not worth it. Um, but and then it is definitely that, made me question asking for help. Does, does that now form part of your messaging and teachings to your students because you you spoke about the the many programs that you run if you could tell us about those programs yeah um well i think i think that um yeah some kind of later experiences i mean you know that the um the fitness industry is a fairly um male dominated industry at the moment it is changing um my kind of you know mentors and so on were all and males kind of in the early stages of, of, of my career and I still, you know, hold them, you know, with the highest regard now. Um, and I'm very thankful that they showed me that, they, you know, I was treated as equal. There were no barriers to, you know, how I was going to, you know, grow and develop in the industry. Um, but in the light of, you know, social media and so on and so forth, um, there's this kind of idea of, what a trainer should look like and what they should be doing and how many followers they should have, which, you know, has just nothing to do with um, them being good coaches. Um, and so I, what I wanted to do, like I knew some phenomenal, excuse me, some phenomenal female coaches um, who weren't necessarily on social media and had these, you know, incredible messages that I really felt that other uh, women in fitness should should hear and so that's why I set up the um, women in fitness summit because I was just kind of like there's a lot happening on social media some of it is great some of it is you know being um, given out by people who aren't qualified and um, so I wanted to bring qualified people 
to the forefront and then just you know in the hope that people who liked my work would trust me enough to to then um listen to or want to come and see the people who i had a lot of um faith in um, and so that's how that started and that that will be in its fourth year this year but i don't know whether oh, in wow. it will probably be online uh due to our current two meter um <laughs> <laughs> division so how how much has it grown over the past four years justin yeah, um, well, I think the first one um, I had, yeah, it's, it's um, well, let me think, the first one I probably had about 30 people um, each day, and I think this year it would probably be looking at, it's probably doubled in size, so it's a, it's a, it's a slow build. Um, I remember, you know, in the very first one, again, lots of people were saying to me, oh, you know, I, you know, do not think that might be a bit expensive for, you know, a fitness event. And I remember thinking, <laughs> don't listen to them. I am bringing some excellent people to the forefront. <laughs> this is not, you're not going to get a goodie bag at this event. No. You're not going to, this is, there's, it's not, there's not a photo opportunity at this event. Like this is for, for people to come and, and learn. So, um, and it's funny, I was, I was chatting, I was on a mentorship call last night actually, and I had um, a guest speaker on, um, a lady who's a performance coach. And she was actually talking about how she built her career. And um, she, it was when she had her third child and she knew that she didn't want to travel or anything within that first year. So she said, right, this is what I want to achieve in this year. And it was kind of building that, that kind of um, foundation. And then the second year, you know, they were still kind of at home, maybe doing a bit of nursery and she was building the foundation even deeper. Um, and now I, I don't know how that little one is, but now she's got a phenomenal business. Um, but the, this idea of the slow build um, was very much um, kind of what got her to where she is today. And so I think yeah. had I panicked about Oh, you know, so say, you know, some people may not consider it to be a success that, you know, in year one, there are 30 people and in year four, there's just 60. And um, to Justin, me, that is, when, in a way, you know what I mean? When I said grow, I wasn't even talking about numbers. Yeah. <laughs> when I said grow, I was talking about, like, as, like, what you what you offered in the first year or what your dream yeah. of it was in the first year in year like now in year four like i know yeah. that 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 vision has has doubled or tripled or quadrupled yeah 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 you're absolutely right sorry um i got carried away with numbers myself no, that's um yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, so, so I guess my longer term vision was, um, uh, so my vision is that in 10 to 20 years time, the fitness industry is going to look like a different um, space and place. Um, and by that, I mean more, um, you know, female coaches in leadership positions. Um, and I think that it's, it's a loose vision, but it's a vision. So I don't have, you know, it's not a super like, you know, noted down on a piece of paper like there will be specifically this amount of people doing this these amount of things it's just kind of like this is what I think I would like to see in the future this is the first step I'm going to take and already when I when I look at you know some of the you know women that come along to the women in fitness summit and what they're doing and when I see you know some of the women on my mentorship which is just in its in its second year now um what they're doing and what they're achieving, I'm kind of like, 
whoa, like that 10 to 20 year thing may come sooner than I think. Now, not, 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 not really soon, but it's, it's developing at a stage that um, I sort of didn't anticipate myself. Um, and I'm incredibly inspired by so many of either the women that attend the Women of Fitness Summit or, um, you know, the, the women on my mentorship. It's just, and you know, it's, it, and, and I'm not saying that in the garden, oh gosh, look what I've got them to do. But no. it's just the, the, the thing that, I've, that I am very mindful of um, is that, um, you know, a lot of women in the fitness industry feel like they haven't found their voice. Um, and so in the mentorship, the first, the, there are five modules, there's um, mindset, there's movement, there's programming, there's women's health, and then there's business. Um, and the mindset is first, because I think it doesn't matter how much you know, and I've got women on that course who've done sports science degrees, they've got sports science masters, um, but they still don't feel like what they have to offer is good enough. Um, and so that's why the mindset module is the first module because it's like, let's get that part right first because that's ongoing work that will, you know, the, the voice in your head is always there. That's never going to go away. But if you have the, the tools to deal with that and to see what, see it for what it is when it comes along, um, then you get to do the other stuff. But if you're shut down, um, thinking you don't know enough simply because you just haven't kind of started to begin that mindset mastery, which is a lifelong journey and I'm far from it, um, then it doesn't matter. All the other stuff doesn't matter. Now, over the, the four years that you've been doing this, um, let's just say you've had 30 people or every single year and obviously it's been growing. So let's just say you've seen 200 um, women over the four years. That's some weird yeah. maths with, by me, but we're going to run with it. <laughs> we're going to um, roll, yeah. Based on what you've seen, where, where do you, like, what is the, what's the common denominator when it comes to i guess the, the the mental strength or the believing in yourself like when you speak to all of these ladies what would you say is the common denominator like why why do they feel like as in as you said they've got sports science masters they've got degrees mm. they've got doctorates like what do you think it is that mm. that makes them not think i'm awesome i'm amazing i'm gonna crush this yeah um, I think the first part is not having that relationship with themselves of what do I like about myself? What are my strengths? What am I good at? Because there's this kind of sense that if you say, oh, do you know what? I'm really good at this. This is my strength that you're being a bit like, oh, listen to her, you know, <laughs> you think she is, you know? Um, and also, I think there's a big, 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 big fear around failing um, and thinking and, and that being a very, you know, finite thing as opposed to, right, this didn't work out. What, what would I change? What would I do differently? How would I move um, forward with this? Um, and to me, if, if I'm not, failing regularly and then of course reviewing that then I'm actually not moving forward at all um, yep. and I, I always say I'm a recovering perfectionist because I used to be perfect 
before they went out there, you know, and that's not, that's not helpful. And so now I'm a bit of a, you know, feck it, let's just get it out there and let's just roll with it. And that's what I did with the mentorship. So I'm that's still evolving massively. Same thing with the, with the Women in Fitness Summit, that's still evolving massively. But what I have now is, you know, voices from the students, from the attendees of the Women in Fitness Summit to say, do you know what, Justin, this would be really, this would be really cool. I'd really like this. I'd really like that. And so they helped me to, you know, develop that along the way, which is, which is amazing. Um, and I'm extremely grateful for that. You've, you've, you've just segued. It's like you're a presenter in your own right Justin you just segued beautifully into what we're discussing next I see what you did there if you're at home or are listening to this please applaud Justin in her wonderfulness and that's that like that's the next that's the next thing we're going to talk about like we've, we've spoken loads about how much you help people but mm-hmm. let's 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 talk about your relationship with with help and you know like who helps you because we all need help Mm. Um, I'm not very good, Corey, about asking for help. Um, <laughs> so, I, again, I don't know, is that because, um, you know, when I, I suppose, even asked for advice or I was telling people that I, about things that I was excited about, they would kind of put it down. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep things to myself. Um, I have definitely, as I've gotten older, um, you know, asked for, for help um, from people. And, and, and really recently, actually, um, you know, two things um, So uh, it, around the same subject. So um, I think I mentioned this to you on my podcast, but um, so my father um, has passed away, um, sadly, due to COVID. And um, so BJ and I, we had to go and clear out his his house and um he so he uh, last place he lived in was was in coventry um and Bilo was going to be driving his car back down to london and um, so i was going to be driving our car and i didn't know how you know he died at home we were going into the house as it was left um so i just didn't know what that was going to be like i didn't know how i was going to feel um, and so i had one friend um nita and i and i messaged her um, you know, the, the day before. And I said, I said, Nita, are you available between this time and this time? So I wasn't sure how long everything was going to take us. And I said, you know, I'm driving back from my dad. It's going to be the first time I've going to be there since he passed away. Um, you know, and I might need you to talk me through the way home because I know that she's very direct, very like, right, let's be focused here. Let's be proactive. And I knew she was exactly who I needed to get home if mm-hmm. I was, losing my shit um and so um and, and it was i actually didn't need to call her in the end i ended up speaking to my brother and my sisters on the phone um, and equally she gave me the space where she was like i'm here i've put that time aside you call me if i don't hear from you we're cool like so there was no pressure on me to message her to and and so it was kind of like i'd asked her for help but she understood that whole asking for help completely holistically and it was yeah. it was perfect it was it she was still helping me by not even messaging me and saying is everything cool um and then the second piece to that was um at the funeral and um, obviously there's small numbers and nobody can travel at the moment and my brother's in the states and um, i've got a sister in um 
in Spain. My other two sisters were here. Um, and um, so and my aunt, one of my aunties wasn't well enough to travel. So I had to stream the funeral. And uh, my friend Courtney, who you know, Courtney Fearon, um, he had said, Joss, if there's anything that I can do. And I said, actually, I need a man who's good on Zoom who can stream the funeral. And in light of, you know, Instagram lives and the likes, I knew that he had done loads and I just knew that if I left the job to him, he would, would be, be able to handle it. And I knew I wouldn't oh, have to worry. So he came along, did the thing and was, you know what I mean? And, and so, so really in recent, in recent times, I have, I have asked for help. I've asked for help in really difficult situations. Um, and I'm eternally grateful um, for those two friendships for that. Um, and I feel like if I, where I may not have asked for help a lot in the past, um, this time asking for help, it, I, I needed it so badly. Um, and, and I have those people in my life that, that said, yeah, without, without a doubt, I'm there. So, so that feels amazing to me. I feel very lucky for that. So that has had an amazing positive impact on your well-being, has it not, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I would have been, you know, yeah, I would have been, what would I have done otherwise? I mean, I still would have, you know, had other sort of semi-options, but those two specific people, I was like, I need help. I need them. You know, I need them in their, you know, fullness to be there for me. And I know that they will. And that was, that was great. Um, so, like, how, how has it been for you, Jocelyn? I know this is a very broad question, but you've, you've, you've obviously been dealing with more than, than most. There's the, the, the coronavirus, and I'm sorry to hear that your, your father passed. Then we have the mm. is racism, which is as, mm. it has existed, as we've said, for, for quite some time. So how like how have how have you dealt with all of this how are we still having this awesome amazing conversation how are we still laughing how are we still joking how are you so strong joss <laughs> thanks well i have to say um you know there were a few weeks there where i was just like and i know that we had spoken and it was just i was consumed just consumed um by it and if I'm honest, I didn't see a way out of it because it just, I felt like I was consumed by it. Both my husband and I were, um, you know, in our phones, just, you know, looking, reading, seeing, like there was just so much happening. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think for me, I had, um, my dad's funeral was, um, on the 3rd of June. Um, and so in my head, because I was sort of, you know, looking after a lot of the, um, kind of organizing of that and, you know, he, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And so I thought when Wednesday comes, I'm going to be able to just now, you know, let go and, and grieve. Um, but obviously, you know, um, George Floyd, uh, died on the, uh, was it the 28th? I can't now remember the exact date. It was towards the end of May. And so everything was, was heightened, um, you know, around the day of the funeral. And so I felt like that was done. And um, then I was like, and now I'm consumed by this. And I kind of, that, that felt really, um, it felt really intense, I have to say. 
um, and I sort of didn't know whether I was coming or going in a way. Um, <clears throat> and I was obviously incredibly sad, angry, emotional, all of those things. And I was very mindful as the days went on. I was kind of like, you've got so much emotion built up right now. You've got the death of your father, which has come with a lot of, um, you know, emotion. We didn't always have the best relationship. Um, and then there's, you know, now everybody are, you know, I hope has their eyes, you know, fully open or are in the process of opening their eyes to something that has existed um, for a very long time. And again, you know, as I was saying before, it's not the, it's not the kind of, you know, standout obvious things like someone, you know, um, being called, you know, the N word or whatever, which is also hideous. Um, but it's those micro pieces that kind of are just swept under the carpet um, that are the bits where you're like, this is where the education starts because so many people think that it's not an issue and it, it is and people have to go deep within themselves to see that it is. Um, and so, and also, you know, that I had a lot of stuff happening internally, you know, I'm, I'm mixed race, I'm half Irish, I'm half Jamaican. Um, and there were, you know, times in my life and a lot of my life, you sort of feel like in, a bit in limbo um, and you're kind of, you're neither one nor the other. And so all of these thoughts were coming up. Um, but I have to say, and I guess, you know, during that um, kind of week and a half, two week period, um, <clears throat> I, I just really felt, you know, overwhelmed by it and consumed by it. And it was just on my mind every hour of the day um, and I and, and you know I was also thinking it, there's so much going on here you're you're not letting go to grieve you know the death of your father um, everything is happening in the world and um, there are you know people getting in touch with me um, you know asking me and I it's kind of I, there are very few people that I wanted to speak to at that time yeah. Um, and, um, but I have to say, uh, you know, kind of here we are now and probably for the last week or so, I felt very different about it. I didn't feel that I was going to feel out of that feeling of being completely consumed by it. I thought, I thought that was never going to happen. Um, when I was in it. Um, but now I feel, you know, positive about it. I think there is, you know, so much work to be done, obviously, um, but part of me sort of wants the next, you know, few weeks to sort of happen um, so that we know what we're left to work with. Um, because a lot of people are, you know, saying that they're going to do this, saying that they're going to do that. And there's been kind of, you know, panic action and lots of things happening. And I'm kind of like, once that all dies down, then what are we left with? Because that's how we're going to we're going to move forward. Um, and I don't necessarily have, if someone's like, you know what, that's not my bag. I'm not going to work with it. I'm not going to move forward. That's cool. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to do my thing with the people who are like, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, spend any energy there. I'm going to take my energy and move it forward um, in a direction that I think will, will continue to make change that I do believe will happen this time and I think it's it's sort of been um you know the perfect 
it's, it's been perfect timing in the sense of, you know, COVID, we've all been locked down. Um, so we, you know, everything is heightened in terms of what we're seeing, um, you know, through our screens effectively. Um, and I think, you know, were we not in the middle of, you know, a global pandemic, would we have had the same reaction? I don't know. You know, you know I don't know if it would... Yeah, that because is, we've all is, paused. That is such an interesting question because I asked Manny exactly the same question on the mm. episode that, that, that we did together. It was, if we weren't all inside because of this pandemic, do you think things would have happened the way that they mm. did? Do you think mm. we would have had the conversations that we did? Do you think we would have spoken as openly as we did? Because the kind of conversations that I think we've all been having, having, I think the conversations mm. we've all been having, if we were to have them face to face, like, would we have them face to face? Like, would we be mm. in a boardroom? Would we be in an office? Would we be in a shop at a friend's house? Yeah. Just saying, yeah, to be honest with you, you, you have kind of been racist for, for quite some time now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I accept your apology. Do you want some sugar? <laughs> yeah, we can, we can move forward. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, would, would that actually have happened? Would we have moved forward as, as much as we had? Or would, like, would we have gone further? Or mm. I, I'm, I'm interested in your opinion, Magic. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I do. I kind of think it, like the timing has been like no one. I remember, lol, I thought 2019 was hectic for me. <laughs> um, and 2020 has just come and knocked me for six. Like just... And so I think, I think, you know, there are two things. Like it gives you this sense of, wow, okay, nothing is as it seems. You know, it really isn't. No, like, you know, we've been talking about, you know, with, with parents from the school, like, are the kids going to go back full time in September? Probably not, <laughs> you know. Or, and, or, and or is to everyone have, virtual learning now? Yeah. And to have said that back even in the middle of March, people would be like, what are you talking about? I remember saying, it's just the flu. I said those words out loud several times, you know, and um, and so I think we're in a time where you, you realise actually there is very little, you know, in your in your control. Um, but I also think that because, you know, because of that, it sort of in a way opens up the idea of, well, if we didn't anticipate this, what are the other things that can or can't happen? Yeah. Because in a way, it's sort of like, I recognize again, we're still in a lockdown, but it's opened up the doors to, well, everyone's carrying on as best as they can in mm -hmm. this new situation. Mm -hmm. That means that actually we can do things differently because we've just proven it. We've just proven it when we were the least prepared ever in our yes. lives. <laughs> the least you prepared know? ever. That's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> Let me write that down. So, <laughs> the least prepared ever. And so in a way, and maybe call me an optimist, um, but that gives me hope for, well, if you didn't think that you could be doing what you're doing now, you know, imagine all of the other things that you didn't even anticipate that actually could take place yeah. with enough you know work to, you know behind the scenes or whatever towards it so um 
I, th I think it was almost like, I guess, the perfect storm timing wise. And also where time has just become, you know, this, this random, you know, intangible thing of, you know, at the beginning of COVID, you know, a day felt like a week. So much would happen in a day, you know. And then yeah, now I'm, I'm also, people ask me how old Max is. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> because time has stood still and so you, I don't know what week we're in of lockdown you know I've actually stopped looking at time days to, you know so it's become this big blur um, and you know I guess my one concern is that you know when everything when we're allowed to hug again which in my view is <laughs> when we can hug again. as they were um whether people will just kind of be like well thank god that's over let me just carry on as i was um but i'm hopeful that it's it's not that way and certain um certainly in the light of you know anti-racism and, and and moving that forward with you know full steam um it, well in my mind i've made the decision that 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 is changing like i you know i to, to for nothing to happen for nothing to happen as a result of everything that's happened and um, that really would lose my faith in in humanity and that is a beautiful close to this beautiful <laughs> podcast ladies Corey, and gentlemen thank you <laughs> i give you jocelyn jocelyn can you tell the people where they can find out more about you Yes, absolutely. Probably um, the make the place I'm most prominent is on my Instagram. Most um, prominent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Where I'm on most often, where I do most stuff, um, and that is. <laughs> I might change is, the name uh, of the podcast. Where I am most prominent. Um, is uh, just my full name, Jocelyn Thompson Rule, R-U-L-E. Someone thought that I actually stuck that on the end, as if today it's... As if today yeah, just... to say that you rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but um, uh, yeah, no, that's where you can find me. Amazing. Um, Jocelyn, thank you so much uh, for joining me in the tub. Um, ladies thank and gentlemen, you. thank you very much for listening. Um, if you have any questions for Jocelyn, drop her a line or drop me a line. Give us some feedback on this podcast and tell us what you would like to hear more of. But you will hear more from me shortly in Final Thoughts. <laughs>
Are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing as human beings? Like, isn't the whole reason that we're here to progress, to be better, to break the mold, to start again? So, my question amongst many is, how many molds are we breaking? Like, how... How supportive are we of people with with new ideas, with new concepts? Or do we just hear new ideas, new visions and kind of say, oh, I don't know if you can do that, mate. Or why is the first thing that people say, no, it's not possible. No, it didn't happen. No, it didn't go like that. Why as humans do we find it so hard to believe that something could actually be better.